This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, world, as we come your way with our weekly visit, talking about the most basic industry on the planet, producing food. And now we produce fuel. We produce clothing on our back. But we always produce food on the dinner table. America's farmers and ranchers, and they have a lot going on these days, and we'll be talking about that this morning as we talk markets and as we have our next to last visit of the season with Jim Fazell, a sure sign that winter is on its way, and a lot more to talk about. So we hope you'll stay with us here on the show because... uh, The market discussion is always interesting, but more so these days because, well, because of the geopolitical activity on trade issues with various countries and various trading blocks, always keeping it interesting on what farmers have to put up with. And uh, it's a lot more than weather and rain and snow and all that sort of thing. It's politics that seem to be never-ending, and then it's the trade issues that also seem to be never-ending now. But good to have you with us here on this Saturday morning, and um, we've got Jim Fazell standing by, so we'll check with him when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Jim Fazell joins us here on the Saturday Morning Show to talk about frost, well, maybe, fall color, well, maybe. Jim, bring us up to date. Well, I'll tell you, Orion, uh, the season is dwindling. Uh, Friday morning when I got up, we had a temperature of 34 degrees, and there was frost on roofs. I'm sure since we're fairly well protected where we are here, and we do have some protection from Lake Michigan, it was probably a lot colder in outlying areas, and I suspect some people got a freeze. Um, It's hard to think that the season's that far along, but it is. And this happens every year. We we get to the end of the season before we realize it. Of course, that means spring will be here sooner, too. Nonetheless, it's time to start finishing up the gardening. Um, we did talk a little bit a couple of weeks ago about cutting back dead tops on perennials and so forth. Uh, one of the things we need to do, and incidentally, I heard a, a feature, I either heard it or read it, uh, where somebody was saying, uh, don't collect your leaves, let them fall. Well, that's fine, but not on the grass. You can't let them fall on the grass because it will smother it. Now, you can actually leave them on the grass if you shred them and leave them in place. Um, That's something if you don't have too many leaves. And the leaves are not really falling very, very quickly right now. I think we talked last week about the fact there are a lot of trees still green. And that's true. There are a few that have some fall color. I don't know when fall color is going to show up. It may be that we won't get any. If we get a good freeze before the trees actually color up, that may stop it. But there are a lot of things that I would normally think would be uh, coloring right now that are not. The one exception would be maples. They're gorgeous right now. Anyway, if your leaves are falling, bury them in the the garden if you can't shred them in place and compost them. That's what you need to do because that's free organic matter, and that's the answer to heavy soils. Organic matter added into the soil will mellow it very nicely. 
Uh, the grass needs to be mowed as long as it keeps growing. Uh, if you can figure out when the last time is you mow it short, I've never been able to do that. About the time I mow it real short one time, the weather milds and the grass starts growing again. It doesn't really hurt it very much to be fairly tall in the wintertime. Um, if you have not done so, you need to fall fertilize. That's a material that has low nitrogen and high potassium. We used to say phosphorus, but phosphorus is a, is a no-no anymore because of, of uh, water pollution problems. Anyway, uh, the fertilizer that you buy, if you buy one that says it's a fall fertilizer, will have a low first number in the analysis and a high second number, low nitrogen, high potassium. Put it on according to the label directions. Now, if you've had a problem with snow mold in your yard in the past, this is a time to begin thinking about putting a, a fungicide down to prevent that. A little bit early right now, but as soon as you finish up uh, most of the growth growing season and most of the leaves are picked up, uh, then you can begin to think about applying fungicides. And there are many of them. You get them at the garden stores or hardware stores that say turf grass fungicide. That's the stuff to use that will prevent the snow mold uh, during the winter. It normally occurs in areas that stay wet or where water stands during the wintertime. Time to begin pull pulling up the spent annuals, especially if you had a freeze this this uh, last week, um, the garden plants and so forth, pull them up and chop them in place in the garden if you can. Uh, or if you've already emptied out some beds or have beds that are, that are already uh, done, you can pile them right on top of the beds. One of the things you might want to think about is leave the plants in the vegetable garden where you dug them because this will uh, not add to, to spreading diseases and so forth around through the rest of the garden. Keep the tomatoes where the tomatoes are, and keep that on your on your on your garden notes so that you know just exactly where what grew where. Continue cutting off the tops of the perennials, uh, compost them as well. One of the kinds of perennials that you want to leave would be things like echinacea, uh, coneflower, and so forth that the birds like. They like the seeds. We have uh, flocks of goldfinches in our backyard right now that are feeding on the the uh, seeds of the echinacea. It's fun to watch them. Uh, they're beautiful little birds, and to see them hanging from a flower, sometimes upside down to get that last seed, it's it's an enjoyable thing to do. Another thing that we don't talk about too too often are the tender bulbs, gladiolus, dahlias, cannas, tuberous and begonias, and so forth. Now, these are tender plants. The bulbs are tender as well. If you want to save these over, you have to dig the bulbs up and store them where they won't freeze over the wintertime. Um, normally, you just dig them up, shake all the soil off of them. Uh, you can actually divide them at this time of year if you're carefully. Then you need to store them in a place where they will be cool and dry. Important that they stay cool and important that they stay dry because you don't want them to rot while they're in storage. Uh, I used to use uh, boxes of, of uh, vermiculite to store these, but pretty hard to find vermiculite anymore, so onion bags work well, too. Put them in the onion bags, hang them up in a cool, dark place in your basement, maybe, or if you have a garage that's heated that doesn't get too warm, that's the place to do it. Now, you need to continue picking the last of the garden produce, uh, tomatoes and so forth, and if they didn't get frozen over this last week, uh, continue to protect them from the frost because they could produce quite a bit longer if they're protected for a few nights. Things like the root crops, the beets, the parsnips, and the coal crops like the, the cauliflower and the broccoli and so forth will stand freezing, so you don't need to worry about them. In fact, some of the root crops will last as long as the ground isn't frozen. We've actually dug parsnips in, in uh, uh, December before Christmas, and in fact, we've picked broccoli just before Christmas that late when we had a mild and extended fall. Um, another thing that we need to do is to be sure that we that we finish up the garden where we have finished up the plants, we need to turn it over. 
Uh, I, I know a lot of people that try to save that until the, the springtime, but this is the time to turn the garden over. And if you really want to do a good job about it, you need to double dig or triple dig that. That means you take out one layer, set it to the side, take out another layer, set it to the side, add some organic matter to the bottom, then you dig that all in, put some soil back in, more organic matter, and you build a layer like a cake. When you get up to the top and it's full, leave it. Don't touch it until spring. That's that's uh, double digging. Uh, it's it's quite a thing to do if you have beds in your garden, and you can do that maybe once uh, one bed every year, maybe every four years. You come back and then double dig. That makes you a good deep garden soil. So that if you have things like root crops, uh, like carrots, maybe that they they don't mend when you plant them because the soil is in in good shape. Um, still time to plant. In fact, spring flowering bulbs. This is the time when you want to put them in the ground. Still plenty of time to do that, and they're available in the garden centers now. Lots of selection. Uh, and keep in mind that, that uh, some folks try to, to get these things and forget to plant them, uh, leave them in the basement till spring. That doesn't work. You need to get them, plant them right away. And this is the time, if you want the flowers in the spring, to plant the bulbs that will do that. Certainly plenty of time to plant trees and shrubs and evergreens. And if you've been working on your yard, you can still dormant seed, though that seed may not germinate till spring, or you can sod. Sod will go down or can be put down as long as the ground isn't frozen and as long as you have a supply of water, or it's going to rain to keep it moist until it does knit. Uh, you need to prepare supplies for winter uh, for things like roses, uh, straw for perennials and strawberries, and you also need to think about what are you going to do with the evergreens for winter. Uh, are, are you going to need to protect them from the sun and the wind or from the snow? If you have uh, uh, salt on the snow, I should say, salting. If you have uh, roadside next to you that's salted and you're wondering why your evergreens get burned every year, that could be the reason. If you can protect them with, with uh, burlap screen or something that will keep the salt from getting to them, that works very well. You need to make sure that your trees and shrubs are well watered for the winter. Uh, you need to make entries in your garden journal as you do things. And uh, next week we're going to talk more about finishing up the garden. That will be our last regular Saturday morning session. So get your notebook out, and we'll tell you things that you need to do to get your plants prepared for the winter so that they can come through in the best possible way. Meanwhile, uh, we can still get to uh, farmer markets and petting zoos and all sorts of Halloween activities. In fact, uh, you have a couple of more weeks for that. Uh, the markets are open now, the roadside stands, the community farmers' markets, and the pumpkin farms. You know, these pumpkin farms, the folks that, that grow pumpkins and a lot of other vegetables as well, they really celebrate this time of year by going out of their way to make it fun for people. They have petting zoos, as you mentioned. They have all kinds of events. They have a lot of stuff besides just pumpkins that you can pick up. It's a good place to pick up some of the things that you need to protect your plants for the winter and uh, just to go out and have a good time. Now, this weekend, we're going to have some mild weather for once. We've been pretty cold and kind of nasty last weekend, but this will be a nice weekend. Good time to get out. And in this coming week and uh, the week following up until Halloween, these places will be going big guns. So go out and, and see all the other people and, and enjoy the days. Well, we certainly will, and we'll look forward to enjoying you one more time this season, and then we'll start getting ready for spring of next year. Our visit with our specialist in ornamental horticulture, Jim Fazell, here on the Saturday Morning Show. 
We're at 20 minutes after 5 o'clock here on this Saturday morning and a lot of activity going on again this weekend. A week ago, I mentioned the 65th wedding anniversary of good friends of all of us in agriculture, Carl and Leona Nelson. They were listening and they'll have the open house tomorrow, Sunday from 1.30 to 4 p.m. That will be at Polo, Illinois at a place called Barnacopia. I'm betting that's another barn that's been turned into a venue for weddings and other celebrations. And uh, I'm not sure, but I would think that probably that's happening. And uh, so their children are helping them greet friends and celebrate 65 years. Good to have you listening to us, uh, Carl and, uh, and Leona Nelson. Well, we're going to take you back to Madison, Wisconsin for another guest from World Dairy Expo when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. The Dairy Woman of the Year, World Dairy Expo, Janina Seemers of Seemers Holsteins, or do you call it Holstein? No, we call it Holstein. <laughs> okay. In Newton, Wisconsin. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Let's begin with your family. I will share that I have been married to Dan, my husband, for 24 years. We have a son, Jordan, who's 23, and Connor, who's 19. And they are doing what? Jordan is a dairy sire analyst for Select Sires in Columbus, Ohio. And Connor is a sophomore at Lakeland University studying hospitality management. Really? He wants to run a restaurant or a hotel? Uh, He likes people. So he says people are usually happy when they're on vacation. I, I think he's right. I think he is. So let's talk about the dairy operation. Uh, what you produce on the farm besides milk? We sell uh, a lot of bulls. Um, 50, uh, we put at least 50 bulls into stud um, a year, and we sell embryos across the world. So how did you get into that specialty? Genetics has always been a passion of the family, and my husband Dan loves genetics, and I think he shared that passion, maybe obsession, with our son Jordan, and um, that is really his focus. Jordan works uh, remotely from Ohio to um, work with the team on genetics on a daily basis. So 50 bulls a year, that's quite a number. It is. Where do they go? Any of them go international? Some have gone to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Canada. And here in the United States, your market is all over? Yes, that is correct. What is most fascinating about uh, selling bulls? Well, every, every uh, week there are genomic results. So we um, send samples of um, hair samples in to get genomically tested. So it's always exciting on Tuesdays. Um, what the results come back as. And when we have some bulls that have high numbers, there's a, there's a n- new energy uh, and excitement that there might be one going to stud. Can we relate that to a lady living in Chicago or suburbs so that she could understand why this is so important to you? I feel that when it comes to genetics, the more information we have, the better animal that we can help breed for the future and have a better producing animal will help 
the carbon footprint. Less animals, less carbon footprint. But producing as much as a greater number. And we always have to talk about the treatment of animals Absolutely. and livestock. Tell me what you do on your farm to make sure that it's done properly. Well, we are part of the National Farm Program, so we have to have a set standard for protocols, standard operating procedures, see something, say something. Um, we train all of our employees. We have cameras everywhere to make sure that everybody is being treated wonderfully. Um, I think a great testament is when we had the polar vortex um, back in March of this year, it was negative 55 degrees below zero. Every single employee showed up to work because they wanted to make sure that the welfare of the cattle was the first priority, is making sure that they were all okay. You have trained them well. We have been blessed. <laughs> well, congratulations Thank on you. being the Dairy Woman of the Year. A visit with Janina Seamers of Newton, Wisconsin. I wanted to talk a little bit more about a program I talked about last week here on the Saturday Morning Show, because if you are a farmer anywhere in the United States, at least 21 years or older, and are actively engaged in farming at least 250 acres of any crop, you can easily enroll in the Grow Communities program through the 1st of November. So you have the deadline of November 1 to make entry in this program, and winning farmers will be announced in January of 2020. This year, the America's Farmers Grow Communities Program, sponsored by Bayer Fund, again partnering with local farmers to find and fund local nonprofits that make a positive impact in their rural communities. And uh, the donations will provide support to a variety of rural nonprofit organizations that have, well, really made a positive impact on the health and vibrancy of their local communities. Uh, talking about food banks, emergency response organizations, community enrichment, and youth agriculture programs. Since it started in 2010, the Grow Communities Program has awarded more than $33 million to fund various local nonprofit organizations. And uh, Bayer Fund President Al Mitchell said, Farmers truly understand the needs of their communities, which is why we partner with them to help identify the local eligible nonprofits that make a difference. So uh, these $2,500 donations could make a difference in your rural community, and we urge you to get enrolled in the program by the 1st of November. You can get information on the website www. AmericasFarmers.com, and as I said, the winning farmers will be announced in January of 2020. So take advantage of the opportunity to help your community. A story that broke yesterday that is kind of reminiscent of a story that broke in August, and here's what happened. Cargill stopped receiving cattle for processing at its Dodge City, Kansas beef plant after an explosion on Thursday. However, according to a company spokesman, 
They expect to resume early next week. The company continues to process uh, meat it had on hand at the time of the Thursday explosion, which occurred in a standalone building outside the main facility. It did injure two workers, but it was kind of a repetition of a story that happened in August when a fire at a Tyson Foods processing plant in Holcomb, Kansas, with similar processing capacity, brought cattle futures much lower while boosting beef prices, sending margins for the U.S. beef industry to a record high. Tyson is currently rebuilding that plant, but now they'll have to go to work on another plant that had the challenge on Thursday. Well, we're at the halfway mark here on the Saturday Morning Show. Good to have you along. Hope you're looking forward to a great day and a nice day of weather and football and farmers markets and visiting uh, those farmers markets that have special activities for Halloween and pumpkin time. Thank you very much, Roger. And uh, your temperature high today will be about what it is in Scottsdale, Arizona at the moment, where because of the fact that uh, Arizona does not go on daylight saving time, there is a two-hour difference between here and the Midwest, Chicago. It's uh, right now 3.35 in the morning in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's uh, time to uh, share with you some views on Samuelson Says. I am Orion, and today we'll be talking about fake food or real food. Do you have a painting to sell that is at least 50 years old? Call me, the Antique Lady, at 773-262-1000. Take a look around your home. That old painting on the wall may not be a masterpiece and may not be in perfect condition, but it could be valuable. A Glenview resident received a substantial check for an original watercolor she had planned to sell at a garage sale. A Chicago couple was pleasantly surprised when we purchased their oil painting, which needed restoration to both the canvas and frame. Call 773-262-1000 to schedule an appointment and receive a fair price for your artwork. BJ Antiques has been at 6901 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago for over 30 years. Whether your painting is in the basement, attic, or on the wall, please give me, the antique lady, a call at 773-262-1000. An email a couple of weeks ago asked the question, what do you find most frustrating about the job you have talking about agriculture and all of the related subjects involving agriculture? And uh, let me at the outset say I'm fully in favor of choice. I think we should have a choice to eat what we want to eat. But I am frustrated by what I would call fake food versus real food or laboratory hamburger versus a beef hamburger. I'm frustrated by the failure really to label a lot of what we eat properly. Uh, We went through this on the milk situation because, to me, coming from a dairy farm in Wisconsin, milk comes from a cow. does not come from almonds or soybeans or oats or any other plant-based crop. And as far as I'm concerned, a pork chop comes from a 
a pork farm and a steak comes from a beef farm and milk comes from a dairy farm. But it gets pretty fuzzy in defining where our food originates. I call it laboratory food. And I, for one, because I have the choice, will never have laboratory food on my plate. And I'm hoping that maybe we can label properly so we know what we're eating. Because as I go into the supermarket and see plant-based burgers on the meat counter display, I say, no, no, that ought to be in the vegetable display. And you can agree or disagree on that. But uh, as I said, when I eat food, I want to eat real food. And I want companies to label it properly so that people know what they're getting. And uh, take a look at the ingredients in a beef hamburger or a beef steak and compare it with the laboratory meat and all of the ingredients that they have to put into laboratory meat to make it look and cook and smell and taste like beef instead of uh, the plant-based product that it really is. So that's one of the frustrations that I deal with. And, uh, well, there's another one, of course, dealing with trade issues, but that's worth about an hour's discussion to talk about the challenge to uh, come up with something that's real in what's happening in trade negotiations with Mexico and Canada, with China, and with the European Union. So we try to share with you our opinion and knowledge on that, but uh, the choice really will be up to you. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. It's a presentation of Nexstar Radio Group. And uh, coming up, we do have Max Armstrong, and a longtime friend of ours who talks markets, and we hope you'll stay with us for that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. In the studio with us this weekend, Mike Pearson from Zayner Financial Services in Chicago. Great to be back, Max. Always <laughs> always a pleasure to talk to you. Fun to have you at the microphone. I know you're out there visiting with growers a lot, talking to them all the time, exchanging messages in social media. This harvest has advanced some in the past week. There are some pockets where rather substantial progress has been made. I always caution, though, sometimes I think we overstate the case simply by watching all the tweets from the cab and uh, forgetting some of those places where the combines have remained parked. What's your overall assessment? As we began the week, we were about a fourth done on the nationwide harvest of corn and beans. How much advance has there been in your mind? You know, my guess when we get on Monday's crop progress report, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another 10% complete. Uh, that pushes us a little bit closer to the five-year average. We're still going to be way behind, about 20 points on both, but we're going to be making some progress. As you mentioned, we're seeing parts of central Illinois, parts of, uh, of eastern and central Iowa we're making good progress. I know some Missouri farmers were able to get out there and get some running done, but Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, parts of Ohio, Indiana. I mean, there are a lot of places where combines have either not started to roll at all or rolled into a giant mud pile and had to be pulled back out. So it is frustrating for a lot of growers. I think we're going to see continued deviation in harvest progress across the Midwest between those that can get started and are are really making good progress. And reports I've heard from the field are that that early planted corn especially 
is coming in pretty well. Um, I haven't heard anybody saying record yields, but I've heard a lot of guys tell me that April, early May planted stuff, if they were able to get it in, it's in their top five. But of course, there's a lot of growers in those same neighborhoods who weren't able to get in those windows. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be looking at June planted stuff that, um, Remains to be seen, Max. There's going to be a lot of variability this year, both in terms of harvest quality and in terms of grain production across the Midwest. And we're going to see a lot of really frustrated people as October turns November and the snow starts to fly. Again, for some, it starts to fly again. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. You look at that blizzard up there in North and South Dakota. That was unbelievable. I talked to a few meteorologist friends, and a storm of that severity and duration in October is is almost unprecedented. We think back to that one in South Dakota, you know, around the Faith area two or three years ago, that terrible blizzard that uh, claimed the lives of a lot of livestock. You know, that was about the only other similar event of, of both severity and duration. So yeah, it's going to it's gonna leave things slowed up for quite a while and raise flooding concerns on the Missouri as that stuff starts to melt. On the Missouri and uh, the red going north, as yes, a matter of fact. absolutely. That's like a tabletop up there, of course. It's just as flat as it can be, and they will have some struggles up there. I want to come back to yield reports. I've talked with several growers in East Central Illinois, for example, in the recent days, and for them, it's a tough comparison with a year ago. They had some tremendous yields. And for almost all of those growers I've talked to in that central Illinois region, central Indiana, they won't be near what they had in the fall of 2018. That's true. And I think that is true a lot across a lot of parts of Iowa as well. Um, last year for a lot of growers was a great year. And we needed a great year last year price-wise. I, I talked to a lot of bankers over the winter as we were getting through renewal season for this crop season, uh, you know, renewal season last year. January, and they said a lot of growers were able to bushel their way out of trouble. They were able to produce enough, even at lower prices, that they were able to cover their debts and and make do to get through. So here we've got another year where prices are struggling. We're making some gains, both in corn and soybeans, but for a lot of growers, we are at or below cost of production, and we really need all those bushels, and this is a year they might not be there. Uh, refinancing come December, January, February, for a lot of growers, it, it hurts to say, might be a struggle. It might be indeed. Corn yield. <laughs> USDA raised, not a lot, but they raised the corn yield in the last report. This frustration that farmers feel with USDA reports just continues to build, it seems. That yeah. corn yield's going to come down eventually, is it not? It, it is. You know, and I think I just saw USDA is going to be resurveying growers in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota, uh, looking for impacts of the blizzard. We are going to see that yield come down. Um, at Zaner, we don't think it's going to drop a whole lot more. We think they're probably going to take more acres out of harvested uh, corn than they're going to drop out of yield. So, you know, that's the balance. They'll drop harvested acres, which then raises the overall quality of the acres that will be harvested. Or USDA could keep acres that are going to be zeroed out in the acreage mix and drop the yield number. We think just based on USDA's past history, they're going to end up cutting out some more acres in harvested for grain and Keeping the yield, it's going to come down some. You know, we're looking at that, uh, you know. What, 165 maybe? 166, 166 half is where we're sitting right now looking at a January number for USDA. But it's going to take them a while to get there. And the frustration you talk about that farmers are feeling towards the USDA and these projections they've had, you know, they've they've caught us with our pants down in August. Uh, they, they caught a lot of folks sideways with this last one, raising the yield on the October WASDE report. 
the frustration is very real. We need a break in agriculture. We need a break in these commodity markets. We're not getting it with this phase one of the China deal that, you know, the wind didn't really follow through on that thing. We didn't get it with the USDA reports. It's it is frustrating. Why does the market get so excited uh, continually about any China news? I mean, I'm galvanized now, I think, uh, and was prior to this thing just a few days ago, this phase one, because the devil is in the details. And I think the details are way out there yet. Way out there. I'm 100% with you, Max. I think we are going to see some, some small things get written down. And I think agriculture might be a part of that. I think China probably will commit to further ag purchases because they need it. You know, China stepped into our market to buy soybeans because they're cheap and they need them. They've drawn down their stockpiles over the past year, you know, making it a point to stick it to President Trump and buy from Brazil. But now as they look ahead in a year where the U.S. yields might not be so great, we've still got dryness in Brazil. I think they're getting nervous. So I think for China, it's a no-lose to step in and say, yeah, look, we'll buy another 10 million metric ton of soybeans as an olive branch to the Americans. I'm sure that's how they'll sell it. President Trump will paint it as a win for farmers. So politically, it makes a lot of sense. The question is, what are we going to get in return? Is it just a delay of further tariffs? Is China really going to ask for something more serious? Are they going to want tariff rollbacks? And... I have a really hard time believing that we are going to get a a big picture deal done before the 2020 elections. And if President Trump uh, wins in 2020, I don't think we're going to get a big deal done before 2024. I think there's just a lot of political hay to be made in fighting with China. This thing is going to be a long running battle. And like you say, why do we keep getting excited? We are Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. Every time we get one of these reports, oh, we get all bulled up. But Boy, it's not just the commodity markets. The equity markets Absolutely. are there, too. And that's probably part of the problem as far as commodities are concerned. Absolutely. We saw that uh, before the last Friday meeting, uh, the Friday, two Fridays ago, when, when China was in, uh, the Chinese delegation was in D.C. They had that meeting, and boy, we saw equities up. 450, 470 points on the day. And then President Trump came out, met with uh, Lou He. They, they walked out, they chatted a little bit. Yeah, it's phase one. And the market, you know, sold off. We were off another, on the equity side, on the Dow, I think we were off yeah, 130 points by the end of the day we from the highs. We haven't even talked about EPA policy on uh, on ethanol, but that's, that's a whole other subject. We wouldn't have time for it. But coming back to the farmers' financial concerns mm-hmm. as we get into the early days of 2020, Uh, In anticipation of that, are you having some discussions with growers already about marketing and, you know, making sure that they are as best positioned as they possibly can be? What kind of advice are you giving them? Well, it's a struggle this year. It's a struggle because we had such a phenomenal rally earlier in the season and growers were so hesitant to take advantage of it, given the fact that we didn't know what was growing in the field. You know, looking ahead to where we stand today in the markets, we've seen November soybean prices get close to that summer high. We poked our heads north of 940. Couldn't hold, but you know that's that's not a terrible opportunity for growers to really consider putting pencil to paper. Likewise, on corn, that four dollar mark psychologically has been a barrier in this December contract. Same story. We poked our head above it. Couldn't hold. Ideally, as we get farther into the harvest season, we start to get a better picture on yields and more specifically the acreage that we've lost up north and in the south to flooding. Um, we're going to see USDA drop yields. I think there's more bullish news to come, but I don't think growers need to get too carried away in getting too bullish. This is a year to really look at putting a 
a strategy in place, working with a, with a broker you trust who can make solid recommendations and, and tailor it to your financial needs. Because we have a lot of variability, both in production, both in marketing and in costs this year. And every farm is going to be different. I'm, I'm very hesitant to make any sort of a blanket recommendation. But I do think the rally that we've seen over the past few weeks is one that growers need to take a good hard look at as they're planning for their future. What's the next significant USDA report you're eyeing at the moment? Obviously, harvest progress coming up here. Before we leave that subject, the condition rating of these crops, does that matter anymore? I mean, last week we saw absolutely no change in the condition rating of corn and soybeans. And some of us who had watched this mess in the Dakotas, and uh, right. the lack of progress in Nebraska and heavy rains and, and snows wondered about that. Is is it just not going to reflect it in the condition rating? And does that even matter? Anymore? You know, it was really interesting. I sent a, a Twitter message to a friend of mine at the USDA, and I wanted to get their update. How do they figure? Because I know in the spring, early summer, they do drive arounds. They drive around, they look at crops, they rate them on a scale, and that's how they come up with their condition ratings. This time of year, are they still doing drive arounds? And if they're doing drive arounds, and you're in an area of North Dakota that has has uh, 20 inch tall beans covered with 27 inches of snow. How are you still rating those? You can't see those soybeans. You can't tell me that condition of the crop is still the same. So I, I think they're definitely taking a back seat when the trade is is trying to make decisions about this growing season. And the focus is a lot more on harvest percentage, especially this year, given that we're so far behind. And I think as we roll through this harvest season, that's going to continue to be the main area of focus is where are we at with progress and where are we at in maturity. On uh, on Monday, last Monday, you know, North Dakota corn was 22% mature. Then it all froze. That corn's not getting any older. Field losses generally are not significant, but what about this fall? This this year could be very different. You know, I've heard from a lot of growers, we were dealing with uh, wind events throughout the year that put a lot of stress on crops. We had green stress, or green snap, rather, across much of the northern plains. That's the same area that saw 50-mile-an-hour winds this last week. That's the same area that has had uh, a tremendous trouble with stock quality and roots and standability in general, and now you're dumping rain on it at harvest time, and we're drying things down very unevenly and you throw snow into the mix going forward we could see substantial field losses i would say if you still got fences around a cornfield you'll be okay to turn some cattle loose this year they're, they're probably going to get plenty fat in some of those areas back to my earlier question what's the next major usda report that you're looking for you know going forward we're going to continue to watch the crop progress and the harvest progress in in particular those are going to be weekly big potentially big movers in the markets the next major report i'm keeping an eye on is the november WASDE. want to see if the usda move upwards in national average corn yield continues i don't think it will, but I didn't think they'd uh, they'd do us so bad in August either. So That's a you, Friday report, as I recall. That next one, uh, I believe it's November first, yes. first Friday of the month. I believe first Friday. Yes, and I don't remember the date offhand. I don't have my calendar on me, but yeah, coming up uh, in November. I think it's the eighth. Maybe I think you're right. That could be that could be a mover. And again, it's it's all up in the air right now. But USDA, once we get through November, December's probably not going to be as important, though. Given how late harvest could be, maybe it'll matter this year. We'll know as we get a little closer. But then, obviously, that January final number is is going to be the the big one that the market is going to start to focus on here as we roll through the rest of this fall and into early winter. Mike Pearson, good to have you here. Nice to visit with you. Thank you so much, Max. Always a pleasure. Zaner Financial Services in Chicago. That's correct. And that's our time for this Saturday morning. Thanks to Bob Ferguson, our engineer. Thanks to all of you for listening. 
Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720. 